All right. I am officially recording for the world's smallest podcast. Hi, Anita. Hey, Anita. <laughs> and Dolly. Um, I have three weeks of these that I haven't sent them. But Anita is in Bougainville now. She's actually arrived in PNG. It's very exciting. We're, we're praying for you um, that they'll, you know, let you go. Uh, it's been a long time since they ate anyone in PNG. But <laughs> hey, in Telephoman, when my brother-in-law and sister were there as missionaries, they met people that had eaten people. So it wasn't that long ago. But we hope you have a lovely time. <laughs> uh, so for the last few weeks, um, I have been talking about reasonably nice topics. I want to bring them together and make it less nice today. Lucky you. Uh, so Jess has been harassing me about spiritual practice forever. Um, so we're, I'm going to kind of begin to introduce that. We're not going to hit actual spiritual practice today. Well, we a little bit, but uh, we have been talking about... Um, does anyone remember? This is one of those things where I throw my heart out there to sit and then you crush me. Does anyone remember what I talked about in the last few weeks? Hmm? Acts. Acts, yeah, just throw a, a, a dart at the Bible. Um, Thessalonians last week. All right, I got one person who listened, huh? Caesar is Lord. I've been spending quite a lot of time talking about the subversiveness of the Christian church in the early Roman kind of era because it was treasonous to be a Christian and say that Jesus was Lord. Uh, so yes, that um, is one of the things I was talking about. And the week before that, I was talking about character. So about what are the character traits of Jesus? So we looked at the fruit of the Spirit. We looked at Colossians where it says to clothe yourselves and all these things. Uh, so today I want to bring those ideas of Jesus being Lord, but also the character traits and the fruit of the Spirit and the things that we should look like as Christians together. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 9 before I jump back into the same scriptures we already looked at. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, it simply says, this is Jesus speaking, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This is a, um, like if the message Jesus is Lord was controversial in the culture of the early church because it could get you in trouble, uh, I would suggest that the most controversial message in westernized Christianity today is the one of denying yourself. We are not good at denying ourselves. That is not central to our faith. You can get up and say, I'm a Christian anywhere. Um, whilst you are, you know, drunk and disorderly and debauched, you can get up and say you're a Christian and no one is upset. But the idea that you should deny yourself in some way in our self-actualized culture that says your fulfillment and your um, identity and your purpose is the most important thing. That's an offensive message. Uh, so that, and that's what I want to talk about today. Whoever wants to be my disciple must. This is not a uh, wishy-washy uh, open for interpretation. Look at the Greek. It really means kind of. No, no. Everyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This was not an optional thing. And uh, when we talk about following Jesus, when we, even the word disciple, I think a better way to translate that word disciple is to translate it as apprentice. Disciple is not a particularly normal word for us. It's a biblical word. But the term apprentice, I think, makes more sense to us. When we apprentice to something, it means that we dedicate a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of effort in order to learn a particular set of skills so that we can be qualified. 
And in order for us to be like Christ, we must be an apprentice to his life. We must be an apprentice to his worldview, his theology, his ideas, and especially his practice. Later on in Luke chapter 9, not that, you know, like 30 verses later, Jesus calls a bunch of men to come follow him um, and they both make excuses about why they can't do that. Oh, I need to go on, you know, bury my father, which is kind of euphemism either for he's already dead and he's, I need to wait for his bones to be ready to then go and put with the ancestors that they had some weird ideas. Or it's euphemism for I need to go home, take over the family business, make sure they're well established, look after them, make sure that everything's good, my retirement's sorted, and then I will come follow you. Uh, and there was another bloke, he says, uh, let me go home and say goodbye to my family. Let me go and do all the culturally appropriate things and then I'll leave. And in both of these cases, Jesus says, come now, follow me. And they give him great reasons for why it's not possible now. And I just want you to think about that because we do that as well. Well, I will come follow you once I've got my full set of children. Or I will come follow you once I have that career or that security or once I've done this thing or once I've... We come up with great excuses as to why we can't right now become apprentices to Jesus. We want to put aside following Jesus till it's more convenient. So we say, you know, well, I'll be generous when I'm rich. You know, the idea, you know, I only earn a little bit now, so I can't be generous now. I can't contribute even, you know, there are people who eat every week and this is not meant to be a huge guilt trip, but there are people who are part of this community who for years have been part of this community who don't contribute in any meaningful way towards the food that we eat. Like if you're one of those people and you have no money, that's fine. At least cook. Don't, but don't say, I'll be generous one day when I'm rich. That's not what generosity is. Don't say, I'll pray more when I'm not as busy. Because I promise you, you are always going to be more busy. It gets worse. I'll be kind after I've had my coffee. That one, yeah, that's rough. Um... I scratched that one off my list. I don't know how that got in there. Um, I'll be patient when I'm not running late. You know, when that person cuts me off in traffic, if I'm not running late, then I have a small measure more grace for them. Only a small amount. Um, Have I told you the buddy hell story? That was classic. I, I was leaving the house and I'm very patient with Caleb. Um... Caleb, dear Caleb, because he takes the bins out. It's his job. No, we made it, but it's everybody's job. It's everybody's job. Is that why it doesn't get done anymore? Back when it was Caleb's job, and I'm very patient with Caleb. I'm leaving, and I'm running late. And I have Ted in the car, and we're leaving, and we get to the end of the driveway, and I see that the bins aren't out, and I may or may not have said, bloody hell. (laughs) To which Ted in the background goes, buddy hell. (laughs) Buddy hell? What's buddy hell? What's buddy hell, Dad? Buddy hell? What's buddy hell? like, I shouldn't have said that in front of you, Theodore. That was not right. But sometimes when daddy is very frustrated, that's one of the things that I say to express my frustration. And then later on, I'm on the phone with Jess. And I can hear in the background, or maybe it, it happened earlier. It happened earlier. And, and Jess is like, well, you, do you want to explain what happened? Buddy hell, mum. Good mom. I'm very frustrated. So, 
But he didn't say bloody hell. He's buddy hell. Buddy hell. So funny, but terrible. I'll be patient when I'm not running late. Yeah, we put it off. I will follow you, Jesus, after I have done this important thing. Then I will get to being an apprentice and a disciple. But that's not how discipleship works. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So the issue wasn't that he didn't believe Jesus' claims. He did believe what Jesus was saying about, you know, about being the Messiah, basically. He, he was a believer, but he didn't have time for it right now. He didn't have time to be an, an apprentice right now. He wasn't prepared to fully pay the price of truly following Jesus. Now, there's this guy, uh, John Mark Coma. I don't know why he needs to have all three names. I guess it's important. but um, it's a family tradition. Maybe. <laughs> but I don't introduce myself as Jeffrey Herbert Roberts. <laughs> yes, Herbert. <laughs> hey, it could be worse. I could be Besnard. <laughs> like CJ. And uh, everyone could pronounce it Besnard, even though it's meant to be Bernard. Um, Bernard. Bernard. It's a French family spelling. Yeah, right? yeah. Quite Bernard. And uh, so I have a quote from, from this guy, John Mark Coma, and I really like it. He says uh, about this gentleman that Jesus was speaking to, he says, he is not willing to pay the price to become an apprentice of Jesus. The issue here isn't apprenticeship versus atheism. It is apprenticeship versus a vague, non-committal, consumeristic faith that wants the benefit of Jesus without the cost. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. It's Luke 14, 33. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, this is a much easier message to preach to 15-year-olds. Because when you're preaching to a 15-year-old, they're like, yeah, sure, I got nothing. Giving it up is easy. I'm ready to be radicalized. You know, like, but when you start talking to people who've got careers and jobs and money and, and you know, lives and relationships and hopes and dreams, telling them they've got to give up everything, that's rough. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. In the same way that this rich young ruler in Luke 18, you remember that bloke? wasn't prepared to leave behind his wealth to follow Jesus, we are stuck at that crossroads as well. We hold on to things that we're not willing to let go of. We're not willing to let go of our money. We're not willing to let go of um, sex or ambition or unforgiveness. There's obstacles that we carry around, baggage that we carry around that get in between us and following Jesus. And it says of that rich young ruler that went away that he was really sad. He believed Jesus' claims, but he wasn't willing to totally trust Jesus and become his apprentice. He wasn't willing to totally trust Jesus and follow him. And he was sad. And I reckon there are a lot of people who exist in Christendom, even in this church, who claim they believe in Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, but don't, and they're sad. They live in this low state of sadness all the time because they're not totally in, because they're not willing to let go of the things that they want to hold on to. Taking up your cross 
has never been a popular topic. It wasn't popular when Jesus talked about it then. It hasn't been popular any time in history. And I promise you it's no more popular today, especially in the midst of our modern individualistic, materialistic gospel of self-fulfillment and actualization. Being called to take up a cross and follow Jesus sucks. But it's actually where we find that sexual sexualization. It's actually where we find that actualization and self-fulfillment. That's where we get what we truly are designed to, to want. So two weeks ago, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit and we looked at the character traits that reflect Jesus. And then last week, we looked at how subversive the message of Jesus is and how in the Roman world to say Jesus is Lord was to commit treason. You see, you look at the, for the early church to follow Jesus was tremendously expensive to them. When persecution came on the early church, they were dispersed throughout the world. They left their families, they left their homes, they left their jobs, they left everything for fear of death in order to stay faithful to being disciples and apprentices of Jesus. So I want to go and look at that fruit of the Spirit verse again. And instead of just giving you the sweet tasting, oh, be kind, be compassionate, be nice bit. I want to give you the full gamut of what that thing says. This is in Galatians 5. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I already don't like this. The, 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 the desires of my flesh, gratifying them is my favorite thing. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Buddy hell. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Now, this is not a hierarchy. But if it was, I want you to see that uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, drunkenness and orgies is right there with envy. So don't think, oh, well, I'm not having my debaucherous orgy. Um, I'm just envious of those who are. Well, then you're just as bad. <laughs> drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, you see, that's a real big warm up to the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, we don't get that. We read that and we read all these nice words. And even when we read crucified, we see it as a reasonably sanitized word because we don't understand what that means. But they did. They understood what crucifixion meant. They understood what Jesus went through. This is not a soft set of scriptures. It's saying put to death, hang on a cross torture and maim and hang up and do everything to all of those sinful desires that are inside of you. Put them up on a cross and crucify them. It's not saying just half-heartedly pretend that you'll work on them. 
crucify your flesh with its passions and desires. And then we come down to Colossians, where we were talking uh, in that same week, two weeks ago, about putting on, you know, put on love over all these things. I did this at uh, Toby and Brooke's wedding, a beautiful set of verses. Here's the full context. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Ouch. Now, we don't have this conversation all that frequently as a church. You know, we because I don't want everyone just to turn up to church and feel judged. So they just sneak it in there every now and then, try and sharpen you up a little bit. But this is, the, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means to crucify. It means to put to death the things of your flesh and to take on the things that look and, and, and behave like Christ, the practices of what it truly means to be a disciple. What is it that we know we need to walk away from to follow Jesus? But we just, we just won't go there. And I want to promise you that thing that you're not walking away from is giving you sadness like that rich young ruler who went away and he's like, I have to pick between my wealth with sadness or following Jesus with gladness. And the truth is we really often would rather that underlying guilt and shame and sadness so long as we can also gratify the flesh. What is it we need to put to death? In our pursuit of being true to ourselves, we forsake the goal of being true to our Lord. We live in a culture where we say, so long as you're not hurting anyone, what you're doing is good. So long as you don't hurt anyone, what you're doing is okay. But that's not, you know, that's not always true. Sometimes the things that you're doing, the things that you want to do, the things that, that gratify and meet the desires of your flesh actually violate your partnership and journey and relationship with God. So in being true to yourself, you're forsaking Jesus. And the problem is being true to yourself is often a very thinly veiled excuse to pursue our own selfish ambitions, idolatry, anger and greed. And in our culture, more than any other time in history, we are raised with this belief of democracy, this idea of individual power and individual rights and individual everything. Uh, so much so that the idea of submitting to Jesus as Lord is offensive to us. The idea that we would take all of our rights and give them over to someone else and say, you tell me how to live is offensive to us. We like our faith to be encouraging without being challenging and rewarding without being costly. So we go back to that verse in Romans. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not a trite salvation prayer for the Romans. They are literally in Rome saying Caesar is not king. 
And I want to ask you, where in your life do you need to literally stand up and say, you're not king to that thing, but Jesus is Lord? Where do you voluntarily submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus? When, when do you put aside, as the verses we already said, when will you put aside your sexual immorality, your impurity, your lust, your evil desires and your greed, which is idolatry? Don't think that your greed and your selfishness and your lack of generosity is somehow less perverse than sexual immorality or impurity or lust or evil desires because the greed that we hold in our hearts as rich Westerners is idolatry. When will you rid yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips? We don't like the idea of having to deny ourselves. The idea that God might actually call you to be celibate as if an orgasm is somehow the highest expression of intimacy is anathema to us. The idea that we should go without some material thing that we desire or pass up some opportunity that we think we deserve or live a life that isn't exactly what we want is anathema to westernized Australian Christians. We want to be generous without having to sacrifice our wealth. We want resilience without trials and character without suffering. We want to be kind, but we don't want to have to put up with people that frustrate us. We want patience, but we don't want to wait. And we want community without investment and intimacy without relationship. We want to be served without needing to serve. And we want to hear God's voice, but we don't want to spend time in prayer. We want life in Christ, but we don't want to die with him and be raised with him. We want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to take up a cross. So this isn't just about sex or money or power. It's about laying down our comfort and our desires and our impulses and the self-first behaviour that we always live in to become like Christ and even to become like the person he created us and desires us to be. Because I know I want to be more generous and I want to be more servant-hearted. I want to be more kind and compassionate and merciful and gentle and I want to be more forgiving. The problem with that is that It means that I actually have to give things away. It means that I have to work hard for other people's, you know, to serve them. It means that I have to be kind, even when I don't want to be. It means that I have to be compassionate, even though my normal thing is not to be co-passionate with someone else. It's just to be passionate about myself. It means that I have to be merciful, which means that when people have offended me, or when I have legitimate power over them, I need to lay that down and serve them instead. I want to be more forgiving but it means that I have to be willing to let go of my offence. I want to be a better husband and a father and a friend and a better follower of Jesus. But it means putting down the distractions. See, it's not just putting aside, all right, I'll stop the orgies. It means putting aside our devices and putting aside the, 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 the hobbies and the habits and the things that we do that just gratify the flesh and saying, how do I serve more? How do I love more? How do I give more? How do I engage more? How do I pray more? How do I, and this is why we want to talk about practices. How do I become more of an apprentice and disciple of Jesus? It means putting aside the selfishness that we carry around by nature and saying, I want to be like Christ. I want to declare with my mouth And in this culture, I want to declare with my actions and my money and my time. I want to declare that Jesus is Lord. 
not the career or the, the home loan or the marriage or the, not the whatever it is that I have created an idol out of. But no, Jesus is Lord. And you know what? That is an offensive message to our culture. That is a subversive message to our culture that we would put Jesus first and his way of living first. That's what it is to say that he is king, that he has dominion, that he has authority, that he is Lord, that he is sovereign. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you set us an example as Jesus lived, submitted to your will. Even when it was hard, even when he would, would prefer a different cup to drink from, he chose to, to go to the cross. And he chose to die. And in that moment where he could have called angels and legions from heaven to protect himself, he rather said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he died for us. that death would be defeated and done with. So Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be like Christ, that we would take our cross and die with him and rise and, and overcome death as well. I pray that we would be a people like the church in Thessalonia, that we're a model church. Lord, that we would look at the face of, of, um, of Caesar the idols and the things that have dominion in our culture and that we would say, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. That we would believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not be condemned right now, that we would carry a deep conviction though, that your spirit would come amongst us and that we would be challenged to serve more, to be more kind and compassionate and pure. Help us and empower us now, Lord, to walk away from um, the lives that we so easily are accustomed to into a life of service and sacrifice for you. Lord, I pray that we would be your disciples and that we would not put it off, not for a moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. I, listen, I think the only reasonable thing to do after a message like that is to have uh, some time to consider, some time to pray. Um, I suspect that's why Ellen is going to the piano to serve us in that way. Yeah, I don't want to make you guys feel bad, but I do want you to feel the pressure um, of the spirit on your, on your conscience right now to know, you know, well, actually, where is it that I could follow? Where is it that I could just put aside a simple thing um, that I know is hindering me in my walk? It doesn't have to be something huge. It could just be, uh, you know, for parents in the room, when your kids, when they want to do something with you and, and your flesh says, no, I'd, I'd rather not do that. And, but they are saying, they're crying out for intimacy and connection and love to put aside your own selfish desire to ignore them or to... That's what it is to follow Jesus. There doesn't have to just be some huge glaring area of sin. It can just be a simple putting aside of self and engaging in relationship and service for another. Um, 
So we're going to have some time here. Uh, I don't know, like if um, if you would like prayer, I'll I'll be here. It's awkward to come get prayer, but suck it up. Um, or turn to the person next to you and, and just say, listen, I really need to talk. I need to confess or I need to pray or will you just um, pray for me? I don't want to even say anything. Or, uh, but make sure you do that. Don't, don't after a message like this, just say, yeah, now nah, I'll get prayer later because you know, I'll go home and bury my father and I'll go back and say goodbye. I'll go. Don't do that. Um, uh, but if you are also, you know, like if you're, if you're done and you don't want to be here, then I encourage you to please leave so that the people who are here can, can have that space. Awesome.